0: Hello everyone and welcome to the August 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folsner, attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. More opioid drug makers have settled pending litigation claims. Endo International and Allergan have agreed to pay $15 million to avoid going to trial this October. In a landmark case by two Ohio counties accusing various drug manufacturers and distributors of fueling the opioid epidemic. The tentative deals came ahead of the first trial to result from 2,000 lawsuits pending in federal court in Cleveland. Endo announced that it had reached an agreement in principle to pay Cayuga and Summit counties $10 million and provide them up to $1 million worth of two of its drug products free of charge. Allergan has tentatively agreed to pay $5 million to resolve claims involving its branded opioids. The accords are the first to result from the county's cases, which were selected for the first bellwether or test trial in the litigation. Other companies still set to face trial on October 21 include drug makers Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceutical Industries, and Johnson & Johnson, and drug distributors McKesson Corporation, Cardinal Health, and Ams Amerisource Bergen Corporation. More than 2,300 lawsuits by state and local governments are pending nationally. A WCAB panel affirmed a 132A award and clarified the application of the Lauer standard articulated by the California Supreme Court. Here's what happened in the case of al- Al-Namiri v. Southwest Airlines. Isan al sustained injury to his low back in June 2010, while employed by Southwest Airlines as a ramp agent at the Ontario International Airport. His job required frequent lifting and carrying of weights up to 70 pounds, and occasionally involved lifting up to 100 pounds. He was taken off work by his PTP until September 2010, when he was then returned to full duty. Al Mineri continued to work full duty without restrictions until he was taken off the job slightly more than a year later of successful work. The PTP at that time rated approximately 28% using the AMA guides and did not give any work restrictions. But a QME found 14% impairment under the AMA guides and gave work restrictions of no very heavy lifting on a constant basis and 70 pounds on an occasional basis. Al-Namiri was informed that he was being removed from duty due to a doctor's report, but he was not told which one. He eventually obtained a supplemental report from the QME, which returned him to full duty as of May 2012 and the following month he returned to work without restrictions. So the case proceeded to trial on the remaining Labor Code 132A claim for the lost pay between 2011 and 2012. The work comp judge ruled in favor of Al Namiri finding discrimination under Labor Code 132A and awarded a $10,000 penalty and back wages, and the WCAB affirmed the award in the panel decision. The WCAB conceded that under the Lauer Supreme Court decision, an employer does not necessarily engage in discrimination prohibited by 132A, merely because it requires an employee to shoulder some of the disadvantages of his industrial injury but the legislature meant to prohibit treating injured employees differently making them subject to disadvantages not visited on other employees but an employee must show they were subject to disadvantages not visited on other employees because they were injured so the wcab concluded that the defendant in this case subjected the applicant to disadvantages not visited upon other employees because they were injured. And now our crime report. 39-year-old Sky Justin Gornick, who lives in San Diego, was sentenced to 70 months in prison for selling controlled substances through the Internet. He previously pled guilty to that charge and also admitted that he engaged in a conspiracy to launder drug proceeds using digital currencies. Gornick admitted he bought and sold illegal drugs on the dark web, employing anonymous screen names and multiple dark web marketplaces including Alpha Bay, Trade Route, Abraxas, Evolution, Outlaw Market, and Dream Market. This included fentanyl and the especially deadly opiate carfentanil. Let me see. Say it again. Carfentanil. Carafen, that's it. Carfentanil using a variety of digital currencies. Carfentanil is a synthetic opioid, approximately ten thousand times more potent than morphine, and one hundred times more potent than fentanyl. The 1.722 grams of carafentanil seized in his residence could equate to over 86,000 fatal dosages. Gornick agreed to forfeit millions of dollars in digital or cryptocurrency after he admitted that these digital or cryptocurrencies represented drug trafficking proceeds. Charges against four of the local doctors in a $40 million medical fraud case were dismissed in Orange County Superior Court. A judge dismissed the insurance fraud allegations against doctors John Casey, Jonathan Cohen, Mohammed Ibrahim, and William Pistel during a July 19 hearing. The physicians practice medicine at Stanislaus Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Clinic in Modesto. The orthopedic surgeons were among two dozen defendants in California charged in 2017 with multiple counts of insurance fraud, filing false and fraudulent claims, and conspiracy. Authorities say a Beverly Hills couple masterminded a complex insurance fraud scheme in which doctors and pharmacists were recruited to prescribe unnecessary treatment for workers' compensation patients. Two other Modesto physicians, Robert Caton and Jerome Robeson, accepted plea agreements last year. Robeson pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of unlawful referral of patients. His sentence included a $17,500 fine, payment of restitution, and three years informal probation. And Robeson was ordered not to treat workers' compensation patients for the next three years. In September 2018, Katon pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of false and fraudulent claims and accepting kickbacks. He was ordered to pay $175,270 in restitution to the insurance companies and 18000 to Victim's Witness Emergency Fund and was placed on three years probation. Authorities say that Tanya Moreland, and her husband Christopher King of Beverly Hills masterminded the scheme. The Kings allegedly made payments to physicians across the state when those doctors prescribed a compound cream, oral medications, and urine tests. The Kings billed insurers up to $700 per tube for the creams with no therapeutic value that were administered to patients. The doctors prescribing the creams were paid a $50 flat rate, according to authorities. Christopher King has pled guilty to two felony charges and admitted to four others, and he is set for a sentencing hearing next month. Tanya Moreland King is scheduled for a court hearing in June 2020. The married owners of sushi and barbecue restaurants in Pleasant Hill, Manteca and Tracy, were charged in 2018 with workers' compensation premium fraud. They have now taken a plea deal, and 63-year-old Kyung Yeon and 65-year-old Richard Howard were both sentenced. Yeon, the lead defendant, pleaded no contest to single charges, of tax evasion and workers' compensation fraud, both felonies. Yeon's husband, Howard, pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor insurance evasion charge. The couple had originally been charged with 30 counts, including conspiracy. Yeon will serve 90 days on house arrest and five years of probation and pay a $20,000 fine. Howard was given 100 hours of community service, two years of probation, and a $1,000 fine. Both defendants must also pay around $80,000 in restitution. Yian and Howard own Matsu Sushi and Chop Chop Korean Barbecue, both in Pleasant Hill, as well as Bluefin Sushi in Tracy and Matsu Sushi in Manteca. At the time of the offenses, the restaurants had a total of 28 full- and part-time employees. In 2016, a federal wage investigator with the U.S. Department of Labor alerted the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office that Yeon and Howard owed around $270,000 in employee-back wages. In response to the tip, a DA inspector used a search warrant and obtained payroll tax records from the restaurant. Roughly a year later, prosecutors filed the fraud and tax evasion charges. The criminal complaint that alleged they evaded $1.1 million in payroll taxes by using under-the-table cash payment systems for employees at all four restaurants. Oxnard Restaurant Uh, resident Ernestina Rodriguez was placed on formal probation for a period of 36 months after having pled guilty to making a false or fraudulent statement for the purpose of obtaining workers' comp benefits. She had previously made restitution in full to the victim, Zenith Insurance Company, in the amount of $9,333, and she will serve 150 days in Ventura County Jail. Rodriguez was employed as a field worker in Oxnard, and she filed a workers' compensation claim for injuries to her back, neck, and knees in 2015. She received a medical treatment and temporary total disability benefits provided by Zenith Insurance. She denied to her doctors and, at her deposition, that she had ever filed any prior workers' comp claims involving the same body parts as she was claiming in February 2015. But in fact, she had filed and settled two prior workers' comp claims for the same body parts, one in 2002 and the other in 2010. And in regulatory news, CMS launched the Patients Over Paperwork initiative back in 2017. This initiative seeks feedback from industry stakeholders on ways to reduce administrative burdens in healthcare and improve the patient experience. The initiative was in accord with President Trump's executive order that directs federal agencies to cut the red tape to reduce burdensome regulations. This year, CMS received over 560 comments in response to its request for information. The American Hospital Association said that providers spend nearly $39 billion each year on administrative activities related to regulatory compliance. Other stakeholders pointed to prior authorization as a problematic practice, and the American Academy of Ophthalmology called preauthorization the most burdensome requirement in Medicare. The American Association of Neurological Surgeons argued that patients are experiencing significant barriers to medically necessary care because of prior authorization requirements. And numerous stakeholders called for prior authorization reform in Medicare Advantage plans. But America's Health Insurance Plans, AHIP, has pushed back, saying that less than 15% of covered treatments and services require prior authorization. However, stakeholders agreed that greater automation would reduce the burdens of prior authorization. Greater standardization of prior authorizations would increase the speed at which they are approved and reduce care delays. CMS has enacted several regulatory reforms as a result of information gathered through the Patients Over Paperwork initiative. This includes reforming evaluation and management, or E&M coding, simplifying office visit documentation, and reducing the complexity of the quality payment program. The Workers' Compensation Appeals Board has issued a notice of public hearing regarding proposed additions, amendments, and repeals to its rules of practice and procedure. The public hearing is scheduled at 9 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday, September 24 in the Elihu Harris State Office Building in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments until 4 o'clock that day. The purposes of this rulemaking are to organize articles to reflect the order of events in a case and to eliminate duplicative rules, break up complex rules, simplify and modernize language of rules for clarity, and create some room between rules so that additional rules can be added in the future without need for new decimals. The WCAB's notice of the proposed rulemaking The text of the proposed regulations and the initial statement of reasons can be found on its rulemaking page. The WCAB will consider all timely public comments and encourages all interested members of the workers' compensation community to participate in this important process. And in other news, NCCI's court case update provides a look at some of the cases and decisions monitored by NCCI's legal division that may impact workers' compensation across the states. The August 2019 edition contains updated information on cases previously introduced and presents new cases and decisions. Legalization of marijuana is an ongoing area of broad interest at the state and federal level. In the two 2019 state legislative sessions, legislatures stayed the course in taking up issues surrounding the legalization of marijuana. State courts are also engaging in reviewing marijuana-related issues in workers' compensation as well as the workplace. In Oklahoma, the case of Rose v. Berry Plastics Corporation is on appeal to the state Supreme Court. In that case, the Court of Appeal concluded that the presence of THC in an employee's blood after a workplace accident does not automatically mean that the employee was intoxicated so as to deny workers' compensation benefits. And in the Florida case of Jones versus Grace Health Center, a workers' compensation judge found that Florida's medical marijuana statute prohibits reimbursement under workers' compensation and that requiring employers and insurers to pay for a worker's medical marijuana would violate the Federal Controlled Substances Act. The judge also determined that employers and insurers should not be required to pay for a worker's medical evaluation to obtain medical marijuana because the cost of the evaluation would be part and parcel of the cost of obtaining marijuana. This case has been appealed to the Florida's First District Court of Appeal. And in New Jersey, the case of Wilde v. Carriage Funeral Holdings, Incorporated, the New Jersey Supreme Court is expected to review the state's medical marijuana law to determine whether a worker who was a state-authorized medical marijuana user can sue his former employer for violation of a state anti-discrimination law when the employer terminated the worker for a drug test that was positive for marijuana metabolites. At the federal level, pending proposals seek to decriminalize marijuana, allow state regulation without federal interference, and protect financial institutions and insurance companies that provide services for legitimate cannabis businesses. In a recent development, the Federal Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in the case of Washington v. Barr declined to consider a constitutional challenge to the inclusion of marijuana as a controlled substance, ruling that plaintiffs should exhaust their administrative remedies before suing in court. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is an independent volunteer panel of national experts in prevention and evidence-based medicine, and it was created in 1984. The task force works to improve the health of all Americans by making evidence-based recommendations about clinical preventative services, such as screenings, counseling services, and preventative medications. All recommendations are published on the task force's website or in peer-reviewed journals. The influential group just recommended that doctors screen All adults for use of illegal drugs. They say this is another step toward curbing the epidemic that claims tens of thousands of lives each year. The task force said that health providers should attempt to determine whether their patients 18 or older are using illicit drugs, including non medical use of prescription drugs. But the panel said it did not have enough information to decide whether all adolescents should also be screened. The recommendation is the first time the panel has concluded there is enough evidence to support screening all adults. Back in 2008, it declined to do so. The guidance is important because the Affordable Care Act requires that services recommended by this task force be covered free or with very small co-payments. It cited the findings of a 2017 national survey that 11.5% of Americans 18 or older were using illegal drugs at the time, and data that showed 8.5% of pregnant women aged 18 to 44 had used drugs in the past month. Among drug users aged 12 and over, 85.3% said they used cannabis, and 19.5% used psychotherapeutic drugs, including opioids and other pain relievers. The panel suggested several questionnaires, administered by healthcare providers or taken by patients on their own, that it said were effective in picking up illicit drug use. It warned primary care providers that screening tools are not meant to diagnose drug dependence, abuse, addiction, or use disorders. Patients with positive screening results may therefore need to be offered or referred for diagnostic assessment. It said providers also would have to be aware of state requirements for reporting results to legal authorities. The proposed recommendations are open for public comment until September 9, after which the task force will consider them for final approval. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd Scarron, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.